You are listening to the Purple Talk podcast on NBC Sports California. On this week's episode, Grant Napier, the longtime play-by-play man for the Sacramento Kings, joins Doug Christie and myself. Topics include Grant's start in the business, as well as the 2002 Western Conference Finals that went horribly wrong for the Sacramento Kings. And we also break down the Kings' trip to India during the preseason. So let's roll tape, get right to it. Welcome to the Purple Talk podcast here at NBC Sports California, brought to you by Wendy's. I am James Ham. I am actually joined by the broadcast team <laughs> of Grant Napier and Doug Christie. Yes, sir. This is exciting. Um, first of all, when we have uh, when we have Jerry on, um, Jerry is a big Wendy's guy. Are you a Wendy? You're not a Wendy's guy. No. Are you? Yeah. I, no. Me and Jerry, we would drive back from the city. It's beef, Napier. Yeah, I, I, I'm not opposed to it, but I mean, I'm not crazy about Wendy's. Okay. First of all, I can't find a lot of them around. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to stop, and Jerry would have his chili, yeah. which, I mean, you know Jerry well yeah. enough to know. <laughs> we're having, yeah. Grant has the incredible shrinking chair. He keeps getting I know. shorter. Yeah, I know. So I just wanted to say I'm really not this short, but that's okay. You know? Uh, Here, I'll stand up. Yeah. There we go. Oh, no, we've got another no. chair. Yeah, you got it? Yeah, we'll switch out chairs. Well, this is kind of like it's a work in progress. I mean, it's Purple Talk. Uh, yeah, you know, that's how we, we do it. Do we got to do, no, right? No doubt. Uh, we're gonna we want to make sure Thank uh, you very Grant much. Is Appreciate that. In all his brilliance. Grant in the corner. Nah. You know, it's all good. <laughs> He's a professional. All right, so first of all, uh, you guys, this is what, year three, right? Uh, no, year two you're for two me full time. time. He full did time. some games with me three years ago, uh, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. How is it going, uh, Grant? I mean, you got to spend so much time with Jerry. Right. Was it 19 years, right? Yep. Um, where are you guys at as your partnership? Uh, do we still have a lot of these? No, you know what? Uh, he gets it. He's been great. Uh, Doug approaches broadcasting the same way he approached playing, and that's all in. And he wants to be the best. And he thinks that he can always be better, and he strives for that. He's prepared uh, for me, for my position, this being my 32nd year of doing the Kings. Wow. I'm blessed. I mean, I really am. I'm blessed because, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but there are, uh, I can, there are many former players that think because they're a former player that they have earned the right to just show up and do games. Doug's not like that. Doug, I, I'm, I have no problem saying he works much harder than I do. I mean, he really does. He he's always working. He's Something's wrong. Over here, aren't no, you? no. So he, he, I already. <laughs> Grant is a machine. Napes, thirty-two years. Thirty-two years. So just kind of give us. How, how'd you get it? How, how'd you get the job? When you, I mean, <laughs> you know, honestly, I moved to Sacramento in July of nineteen eighty-seven. Okay. And I'll never forget. I was the sports director of Channel Thirty-One here in Sacramento, meaning okay. I did the uh, sports on the news at night, Monday through Friday. Okay. And. I mean, you can't make this up. Christmas Eve of that year, I walk into my general manager's office, whose name was Bill Walsh, not the football coach, but Bill Walsh, to wish him happy holidays. Okay. And I walk in, and Bill's not in there. There's another guy in there. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I was looking for Bill. And he said, come on in. He said, I'm the new general manager. Bill doesn't work here anymore. Oh, boy. Exactly. (laughs) That's TV for you. And his name was Elliot Trashinsky, who's now the general manager at KCRA. Okay. And the games back then were on Channel 13. K-O-V-R. Okay. And two or three months after I had first met Elliot and we were talking, he calls me into his office one day and he goes, uh, hey, have you ever announced basketball before? 
I said, well, not since fifth grade. I've only been doing it for 20 years. <laughs> That's a you know? whole other story. Uh, right. So okay. I started, and I said, yeah, I've been announcing basketball since I was in fifth grade. And he's come, no, he goes, no, really. I go, Elliot, I've been in, yes. So he said, well, we're trying to get the Kings rights. He says, no one knows. You can't tell anybody, but we're trying to get the Kings. Right. Because the contract at Channel 13 was expiring after the first three years. The games were being played at Arco 1 at 10,333 seats. So anyway, Elliot calls me back, and he said about a month later, he said, we won the rights. We got the Kings. He said, but I can't. He goes, but you have to be approved by the Kings as the announcer. Okay. Well, previously, a couple of months earlier, I had written Joe Axelson, the general manager of the Kings, a handwritten note. And I said, Joe, I just want to let you know I'm new in town, and your staff has treated me so well. And I said to him, because I had come from Champaign, Illinois, that area, right. and I had covered the Big Ten. And I said, I hope the fans in this area realize how lucky they are to have this team here with this atmosphere. Now, right. remember, back when I was at Channel 31, yeah. nobody watched Channel 31. Right. I would go out at night. No one knew who I was. Nobody would go, hey, that's Grant Nate. No, none of that. Okay? <laughs> right. So yeah. I guarantee you, Joe, who had no idea who I was. So then Elliot calls me back into the office two or three weeks after that, and he goes, um, guess what? You're the new TV announcer for the Come Sacramento on. Kings. Yeah. That yeah, quick. That quick. And first phone call I made was wow. to my dad, and we both broke down on the phone. I bet. You know, that was the best phone call I've ever made in my entire life. Wow. My dad taking me to games when I was three years old and just what we shared. And But that's how I got the job, and I've been doing it ever since. How about that? that 32 is, years. That's the next level. And, you know, funny thing was Elliot said, okay, I'm going to pay you $300 a game. And when, you know, <laughs> after we had done this, and he was talking to me about something at some banquet somewhere, and I said, hey. I said, you made a terrible business decision back then. <laughs> he goes, how's that? I go, well, I would have paid you $300 a game to do it. Yeah. How about that? That's solid. That's solid. So I started Your doing the games. Not as good. I started doing the games. <laughs> yeah, no. I started my first Kings game. I was uh, a young 28. Wow. That's amazing. When you talk about the growth, first of all, the NBA, Sacramento Kings, all of that, uh, round ball one to yeah. – Air ball one. Air, Air ball, ball one, one. Yeah. to yeah. where – what we just traveled to India, for right. instance. Well, give, that's that's give, give people that. I think we saw Airball too in the last. Game. Well, you got to remember, I started when I started doing the Kings. We Kings, we flew commercial. Okay, that even and breaks so, it down. And so, so I'll never forget one of my first road games. Was my first road game was in Portland, and the next day we had a game here. Right. And the NBA rules said if you had it back to back, you had to be on the first flight out. So we got you know the game, and back then you know there was two coaches. You know, and they and so we're at the bar, and we close the bar down, and literally two hours later, the wake-up call. Two yeah. hours later, you're on the bus going to the airport, and you go through security, which obviously was a lot different then than it is now. But yeah. you waited in the gate area with the other passengers, and the players that had seniority got first class. Right. And remember, Sacramento, there was no wide bodies, and generally speaking, there were only uh, probably eight first-class seats on most flights. So the eight guys with seniority yeah and if you were a seven foot rookie it didn't matter you're in the back wow wow and so you would you would take off sometimes at 6 30 in the morning and you do with delays and everything else that's so that's how cool. that's how i started when, no when i was in 1988 now you bring that up that there was only a couple of coaches i mean the staff really was it was like a head coach an assistant sometimes two assistants and then a trainer right that's right. Uh, there were many times when I would uh, help out and shoot around. I know when Dick Mono was the coach, he would actually have me referee sometimes. And I'll never forget. I, imagine he, that. I can't imagine <laughs> No, no. I said, to, I said, Dick, come on. He goes, no, I need you to ref. I go, Dick, come on. I can't ref. He goes, throws me his whistle. And I'll never forget this. Spud Webb was on the team. 
And, you know, Spud's the most competitive individual you could ever be around. Right. He's, a, he's basically, for the people, he's Buddy healed competitive, okay? I got you. Where no Everything. Matter, right. And I didn't call a foul on him driving to the basket. And, you know, Spud and I were pretty tight. We really were. I mean, I, I have, a, to this day, a great friendship and relationship with him. He wouldn't talk to me for three freaking weeks after that. I'm like, Spud, wow. it was practice. Wow. Get away from me. I go, Spud, I, I, I didn't want a referee. I mean, come on. They gave me the whistle. What am I supposed I think, to do? I think everyone watching this goes, man, would I love to see Grant Napier With ref the, no doubt. his cousins. Oh. That's oh. What, well, I would have thrown him out of the game. I would have thrown him out of practice. I would have thrown him out of practice before it began. Yeah, but yeah. You, but but so we used to uh, throw the ball to guys. Dick had a, a shooting drill that you'd have to go around a chair at the top of the key. Right. And I would throw the ball to the player coming like a curl, yeah. and I and I would be throwing the ball to the guys. And so player everyone, you know what, player development <laughs> for three hundred dollars a game. And you know what, he was Bobby Jackson. You know what, I was Bobby Jackson. I was Bobby Jackson, a slimmer Bobby Jackson. Slimmer. But 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 you know what was interesting back then? You were everyone did more than your job. Yes. That you you would help unload the bus. You would help unload the truck. You would help uh, whatever needed to be done. You would lend a helping hand. No doubt. This is who was it that you started with as your uh, Ted Green. Ted Green. Ted okay. Green was the producer that. for the Roy Firestone show. Okay. And Ted was really really good uh, on the air. He was really good, and he and I did it for a couple of years. But uh, that was the first guy that I did the uh, games with. Yeah. And I remember Derek Dickey. Derek Dickey, who was uh, truly back then maybe my best friend on the planet, and we became very close. And uh, when he passed, uh, that was uh, that was that was beyond sad. You know, he left here and went to do the Chicago Bulls games with Neil Funk, and he didn't show up for a game one night. And Derek had a Derek was a, a routine guy. Did everything the same time all the all, and. He didn't show up, and make a long story short, they went into his apartment, they broke the door down, and he was lying on the floor. He was conscious. He had had a stroke, but he couldn't move. Wow. And he had been on the floor all day, and he, he was paralyzed on the one half of his body, and then uh, he passed away a couple of years later. I started a golf tournament in his honor, uh, even before he passed for the American Heart Association and Stroke Awareness, and I used to pick Derek up at his house when he was uh, half of his body was paralyzed and take him out to the driving range because he still wanted to play, and he'd be playing with one hand you know one wow. and we would uh, you know and he was so proud and we uh, that, that was one of the worst days uh, of all my years with the kings when he passed that was um, that w that was sad to say the least you know you, you talk about worst days that ultimately turned into probably one of the best days is as we sit here in this glorious golden one center i'll never forget the video of you and jerry yep. Welling up as you thought that things were going to go away. Just uh, talk about w where we were and where we've come to now. Well, I remember the car ride with my boys uh -huh. because they were very young at the time, and I thought, wow, okay, this may be the last time that we ever drive to this arena yeah. like this. And I did a couple of interviews before the game uh, that TV stations in town, you know, mm -hmm. like 4 o'clock, 4.30. And I kind of knew back then that this was going to be a really emotional night for me. I didn't know I was going to break down on the air, but as that game went on, every single person in the arena had the same thought as I had. Gee, is this the last time we're all going to be together? Right. And when they came out on Jerry and I at the end of the game, I knew that we had a very special music tribute, okay, mm. a love song. Okay. And love it, song by Tesla. Right. And I had seen the video. And I knew that the video was going to be very impactful. And for everyone watching, it was going to bring tears to their eyes. And I was okay until two things happened. Number one, my boys had moved down. And as I was looking at Jerry, 
they were they had moved down to the first row. So right. I see my boys there. And then all the fans started going, Grant and Jerry, Grant and Jerry, by the way, you notice how it wasn't Jerry and Grant. <laughs> it was Grant and Jerry. I, I blame Ben and you know, Jerry. Right. There you but, go. But, but it doesn't matter. They can call my name yeah. first. So no, but so um when when that started happening, I was just like Wow. You know, your job is to do your, your when you get behind this microphone, you are you're there to do a job. And so as I was sitting there and then I saw Jerry's reaction, I said to myself, get us to the rollout, which is Tesla Love Song. I said, I'm telling myself, okay, you need to get off the air and get to the rollout. But I had to make sure that I said what needed to be said properly leading into the rollout. And that was probably the toughest 15 seconds or however long it was of broadcasting that I've ever had in my life. Wow. You know, I was in the tunnel after you guys were done and you went around and you, you know, high five a lot of fans. And I remember you came through the tunnel and you had so much energy and you were slapping high fives and me and Devin Blinkenship were in the tunnel. And I just remember it was a different Grant Napier because you're an emotional guy. Like I hear you, like whether it's the game or whether it's on the radio, but in person, you're much more stoic. And so to me, it was nice to see a different side of you and for you to be able to have that moment. Yeah, it's it's just me being me and Jerry being Jerry. Yeah. And it's interesting when you hear others talk about what a iconic moment that was for the franchise. And even Kevin Johnson, the mayor, Mm -hmm. who was on his way to New York that night, you know, was talking about how impactful that scene was to the league office because that had gone viral and everyone had seen that. And even... Uh, the 30 for 30, which unfortunately never aired, but we all got a chance to see it. Jason Hare, who is the director of that 30 for 30 called Down in the Valley, which I still hope someday we all get a chance to see. When I first met him, uh, after doing the documentary, when we flew to New York for the premiere, he said to me, he goes, I never even thought about doing a documentary until I saw you and Jerry on TV break down. He said, that's why I decided to do the 30 for 30 on, on the on the Kings. We opened Small Market Big Heart with it. Yeah, the the documentary that we did like right during the first relocation. Right. Wow. It we opened it. I mean, it's just such a powerful moment and it's iconic. You're right. I mean, it is part of the fight to right. keep the team, which sure. it's got to make you feel good that's part of that. You know, I don't really talk about this very much. The, the 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 most challenging thing and Doug can relate to this now that he's my partner and we went through this when he was with me when they traded to Marcus Cousins is that when I was doing the radio show back then, I was alone. And I got the call from George Maloof on Martin Luther King Day when we were in the hotel in New Orleans checking out. We were getting ready to play New Orleans for a day game. And he called me and he gave me, he said, hey, we've sold the team to Seattle. He gave me all the details. And I remember ending the conversation and just was numb, was absolutely numb. We had heard the rumors, but then when George yeah. called me, and I remember getting on the bus and it was literally like a morgue on the bus. and. I'll never forget taking off from New Orleans. It was still daylight, and I'm looking out the window to the left, and I see the Mississippi, and I'm and everyone knows how much I love to fly, and it's right. a big part of my life. And I remember looking out the window, saying, "Wow, I wonder if this is the last time I'm ever going to be on a team plane looking at this." You know, that mm. was. But then I had to go on the air the next day, you know, at three o'clock, and that was the day 
that I decided, hey, you know what? If I lose my job over this, then I'm going to lose my job. But I am going to go on the air starting tomorrow, and we're going to do everything in our power to save this team. I don't care if the Maloofs get mad at me. I don't care if they fire me. But no one's taking away my radio show, and I need to talk to the Kings fans every day. Right. And that's what I did. And that was, without a doubt, the most tumultuous, most difficult time I've ever had in my broadcasting career where literally the bumper music would be playing with the intro to my show and I would have no idea what I was going to say. And Doug knows this. And I'm not, you know, I don't write anything down. Nah. I have nothing written down in my whole broadcasting career. I ad lib everything I do. And I just started talking every day. And I really believe that, you know, in an odd way, the fans really helped me. And I know I really helped them with the because we had full phone lines every single day from the time I went on to the time I signed off. It, we had no guests talking about anything and on any other sport. It was the Kings every single day, full phone lines. And I would get in the car after doing a show, and I felt like I had just gone 12 rounds you right. know, with, with a champion. And it was it – was, it was, there were some days I would go on the air, James. I, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to say because the news had been real bad that morning. I got well, or Or maybe the, maybe the news had been good. good. Uh-huh. But then the next day you get punched in the stomach again. So that was, that was a very interesting uh, period of time. Yeah. All right, I'm going to play this, and I'm going to yep. have you guys uh, respond. This is Monty Poole. Uh, which this podcast is coming out on Thursday. So everyone can hear this. What went down in the 2002 Western Conference Finals between the Lakers and the Kings, specifically Game 6? No doubt in my mind, the Sacramento Kings should have a ring on their finger. They were the best team in the league that year. Uh, That Game 6 was definitely a situation where... uh, Towards the end of that game, they got robbed. Dick Bavetta was on that game. Uh, and he claimed several times to several of us that he was the NBA's go-to guy. He was put on game sixes to force game sevens. And, you know, I think there's no doubt in my mind or a lot of people from the inside of the NBA, they, they know that, uh, you know, they gave the Lakers the benefit of several calls in that game. You know, thinking it was just going to go to a game seven and, and Sacramento was going to win on their home floor. The Lakers win. They win the championship. And really, uh, it's unfortunate for Sacramento because they should definitely have a ring on their finger. Well, obviously, Doug was on the court, and that's Tim Donaghy. Uh, I believe that to this day, it was the worst officiating game in the history of the NBA. Okay? And as bad as that was, and, and Doug's probably better to talk about this than I, the Kings in Game 7, and they played all year to get home court advantage, yes, sir. missed 14 free throws yep. in a Game 7. Yeah, And I can't blame that on Tim Donaghy or the refs or anyone else. I will say that Dick Bavetta, Bob Delaney, and Ted Bernhardt, the biggest problem that I had in retrospect is that they all went on and officiated in the NBA Finals after that game. And to me, everyone always talks about Dick Bavetta. I think Bob Delaney was the most incompetent official that I've ever seen in a big game. And his officiating in game six of that game in L.A. was beyond comprehension to me. Can you imagine if we had that today with all the social media and all the things that were gone? Oh, boy. It, it, would, it would explode on the Internet. When you're in the midst of it, it's hard to grasp hold of it because you can't do what Grant just see. He's, he's on the outside looking and he's in it, but you're, you got to be a little bit objective, different things while you're inside of it. You can't start complaining because if you start complaining, it takes you out of your game. We did that a little bit, but for the most part, people ask and I'm like, we knew something was happening, 
But to Grant's point, we still had the ability to handle the business, and we didn't handle the business. 14 that, missed free throws. That yeah, will always it, stick with uh, you, it, I know, though, because you and I have talked about yeah, it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's about as tough as, as you can get. But you know what? Uh, I always tell Grant, I've learned more about myself through that that little bit of span because of losses than I ever did through any win, and, and I'm better for it. And that's why to when I see Vlade, and I see Peja, and I see Bobby, and myself here, we have unfinished business. It, it, it has to happen, and it will. I, had, I did games three and four on the radio. I did the game four with Robert Ori, and it's amazing. Back then, you couldn't listen to the game on the Internet. And I had people literally coming up to me going, you have no idea. We were at Little League game, we were do- and we literally stopped the game, and every single person on the field was listening to you. They stopped the game. We literally were camping. We, we, I mean, store- wow. we had the amount of people listening to that game in addition to watching it, but on, was just the stories that I heard from people, was, it was just unbelievable to me. Yeah, it, you know, when you go back and now you've got instant replay and different things, Samaki Walker, that shot doesn't That's count. right. The, inability for, us to, the yep. inability for us to close that half, as I talked yes. about. We were up by 20 in the first quarter. I mean, we yes. jumped all over them and to allow them back in. And it's odd because when Samaki's shot went through, I felt uncomfortable going in the locker room. It was just weird. It was one of those weird type of things. And even then, fine, finally stopped Kobe on that last stop. And I'm thinking, I got you now. Right. And he misses it. Vladi couldn't have passed Robert Ori a chest pass that perfect. No. And why is your power forward out there? This isn't today's game where he shoots the three. No. And why isn't he crashing the boards? Why isn't he qua- crashing the boards? It was, a, it was a perfect storm, man. It was. Okay, so I can't keep you guys all day. Uh, you guys have to go do a radio show. Um couple of things though uh number one your front line right now which you know you guys go on that radio show sure. from from what is it three o'clock until seven right. on, except for on game days yep and you're getting the the full force <laughs> of the fan base right now i mean the fan base is in panic mode yeah, yeah and rightfully are. so yes. um the the team hasn't just lost the first four games they have not looked good right. especially in utah um but what is that like walking in knowing that you're going to have to sit there and take it and and try to walk fans through what's happening. Well, uh, I'll speak first. I've been doing this a long time, and I've been through a lot of miserable seasons. Yeah. And so I, I've navigated these rough waters before. But I think the one thing that the fans have to understand is nobody wants to see this team succeed more than Doug and me. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're hurting just as much as the fans are. Yeah. We want this team to win desperately. Yeah, we announced the games, but – Deep down, we love this team. We're fans of this team. So I'll start with that. That's the, We want this team to do well. You know, it, it's it's painful. I've uh, I've walked it a few times. There's been some, some hot-button issues where I lean on Grant because I, I don't know. You know, sometimes I might say the wrong thing. But as I continue to learn, the other night I had people text and call and said, you know, thanks for your honesty because we can't be homers to the point where we lose our credibility. No, you can't. It was bad. It was really yeah. bad, yeah. and we got to call it now. If that makes a player mad I, or coach, it's like do better. Uh, yep. I, I don't. I don't really know what to say because I'm not. I, I'm. You're giving me what I'm talking about, and at the same time, I, I find a positive. Grant knows how I am. I find a positive. Absolutely. And my positive was it can't get any worse. And sure. they came out the other night and they played better. And I right. told Grant if they play like that, we'll be fine. Yep. Yep. they got to do it. Okay. Well, I, I, think, I think one thing's for sure, and depending on when someone sees this, as the Kings, as we are talking today, are 0-4 mm-hmm. 
uh, there is no more margin for error. Yeah. Okay, and that means that yeah. you have games coming up that you absolutely positively have to win, and it doesn't matter how you do it. Yeah. Okay, and if not, then if we think that this week's been hard on the radio, oh boy, oh boy is right. Yeah. So this is uh, this is a critical. This ship is listing big time right now. You know, now. when when Grant says, however you do it, short leash. I mean, Deadman goes out, and Luke wastes absolutely yep. no time. He puts Rashawn Holmes in, and to Rashawn's credit, and just think, if we didn't have – Grant said this to me. Just think if we didn't have Rashawn Holmes right now because yeah. he came up huge yep. the other well, night. Well, he brought the energy. He changed the entire complexity of the energy. game. Energy. Bowling yeah. Green grads. He's got energy. <laughs> I got energy. It's cool. That's what happens when you go to Bowling Green. <laughs> yeah, and these guys, they get to go on the radio. Um, my best season before last year – was 33 and 49. So imagine writing 49 losing game recaps every year. Well, imagine being the announcer when the team lost 43 consecutive road games. Oh, yeah. So shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, so we're going to finish with this. We're going to finish with this. You guys both got to experience India. Uh, Yeah. What just I know your love of travel, and I know you were able to bring Star with you. Yeah. Not on the the team plane, but she was able to get there and, and what was that experience like just to be uh, in Vivek's home country to let him to see him yep. experience that? Uh, but also for you guys to see something that I don't think I mean, it's it's different than anywhere else in the sure. world. Well, first of all, the Kings Insider should have been on the trip. I, don't I understand agree. That. What That's the absurd. Hell is up with that? uh, second of all, uh, for me, the highlight of the trip was uh, there were two things. The first was going to the Taj Mahal. That was something I'll never, ever forget. And the second was leading up to the tip off in game one. And we were announcing the game, and Vivek was right next to us. And you could just see how much it meant to him to have an NBA game played in his home of Mumbai. And the, the just leading up to tip off, and it, that, that, those two things stick out more than anything. Yeah, I would, I would agree and concur with Grant that when we're watching Vivek right there, I tried to relate it to like uh, a kid making it to the NBA and you, you, you realized your dream. Well, times that times, I don't know what, yep. because you actually own the team and you're bringing it to a country that's never even experienced that and where you came from and what you went and did, and now you come back. I, I just, it, it was And baffling. the atmosphere for the first game oh. was amazing. It had 3,500 boys and wow. girls from a foundation, and it was electric. Wow. It was like a playoff game. It was. And you know what? And the Kings, that that's another reason I was so bullish. They were balling in that first half. Like no, I mean the ball. We movement, couldn't believe it. I couldn't. I mean they were getting after it. It was it was it was playoff atmosphere. It was. It was incredible. Yeah. How many? What was the most people you saw on a motorcycle? Uh, probably five. Five. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, five. Was, I heard someone saw six. Yeah, I can believe that. One motorcycle. Yeah. 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 It's crazy place. The, uh, the, Modes of transportation over there are a little bit different. <laughs> a little different. But you know what? They don't have any uh, metered ramps, okay? <laughs> uh, all right. Well That's going to do it for this edition of Purple Talk Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Grant Napier, Doug Christie. We'll be back next week with a huge guest. Make sure to listen to Monty's pod with Tim Donaghy. Uh, it's good stuff. Um, and, again, we'll be back next week. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Go Kings! Thank you for tuning in to the Purple Talk podcast, formerly known as the Kings Insider podcast on NBC Sports California, brought to you by Wendy's. If you haven't already, please hop on, give us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. And this season, Purple Talk is going on YouTube. We're going to have a whole new video component to this, and I think you're going to like it a lot. So tune in next week. Doug Christie will be back. We'll have a huge guest Thanks for tuning in to the Purple Talk Podcast.